music is a form of expression It's how I express myself If it comes from the heart you can never go wrong If it comes from the heart you can never go wrong Oh no Oh no You're listening to High January by Marker Starling This is A Thousand Songs Episode 7 Uh, welcome to A uh, Thousand Songs, uh, episode seven, I believe. Um, I, my name is Jim Shedden, and I'm here with Alan Zweig and Rick Campbell. Hi. And, hello, hello. Three and, men with sleep apnea. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, <clears throat> Kieran Grant, uh, who is our guest today. And um, uh, this podcast is uh, kind of riffs on a Facebook group that the three of us... Um, you know, really maintained for about seven years uh, where we talked about songs that we love. And so we decided to revisit it with this podcast uh, to continue that conversation, uh, this time with guests and some new songs. <sighs> um, I will get the ball rolling uh, by pick, uh, plucking a song from the original list. Um, today I've chosen uh, Pour Me Up Another by Amy Millen. Um, who I, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a song I found when I was doing some research for a film I made, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in a second. And, um, I realized when I came upon it that I knew who, who, uh, the singer was, uh, uh because she's, uh, she's in stars. Maybe that wasn't even true at the time, but, uh, also sure. broken social yeah. scene. And um, she, she was a barista at uh, Jet Fuel in Parliament. Um, but I, I, I came across uh, uh, the, the couple of songs that I used in the film in the end from this album called uh, Honey from the Tombs. And uh, I think it's a fairly obscure uh, record. Uh, I came upon one review of it in uh, Pitchfork, uh, 5.9, which doesn't sound good. And it's a, it's a pretty negative review. And I'll just read a little bit of it. But don't feel bad, Amy, if you're listening. No, don't feel bad because I basically I don't I don't. It's not like I I don't agree with it, and I and I realize it's it's it's, it's also irrelevant. Um, but she uh, the the reviewer says, apart from a handful of winning broken social scene assisted dream pop gestures, in other words, part you know aside from doing what you already do in this other band, Honey is an austere breakup album dominated by second rate whiskey and tears fueled backwoods banalities is this work? yeah yeah oh, see I, I know who didn't write that review <laughs> <laughs> that's not a Stuart Berman review that's no no it's, it's actually by Ryan Domble um, don't feel bad Ryan um, without the grit to make her twangling strum stick Millen m- merely regurgitates country folks most obvious characteristics and um, then there's, you know, some discussion. Oh, yeah, the lyrics here, it says, um, uh, he, he quotes, uh, sometimes I feel like my only friend is a whiskey glass. You, you know it don't stop the time, but it helps it pass. And um, uh, anyways, there's a few other uh, quotations of lyrics. 
And I realized when, when it, whenever you take lyrics from a pop song and write them out, they generally sound banal. Um, like it, uh, so, so that's it's a kind of interesting move. You can prove, you know, many songs. Hmm? Do you mind if I interrupt? Uh, sure, I, I haven't quite got to where I was going, but you can end. Well, first of all, why don't you just play this? We usually don't wait this long. No, but there's a setup for a reason, okay? okay. So I'm going to show you, though. Um, for me, I heard the song, and then I thought, I, I know what I want to do with this song. So I was making this film with, uh, with uh, Peter McCauley, and it's a pretty simple film. It's called I Drink. And uh, the song just, I realized I was taking it out of context, um, but, uh, but that's how it goes. So there was nothing ever non-alcoholic about coming to this bar. I'm here to drink, you know. Um, I sort of had a good time, uh, but it was, it was a really shameful, hideous period of my life. I had no choice but to get sober or die. So here we are.
so uh, yeah, I mean, I think that the it doesn't mean I, you know, I like the art of of music criticism in a way, but it, but I, but I realize that I'm not. There's no argument to be made. <laughs> there's only like like that that song got under my skin, and then I had a, an idea. Well, I mean, I was already I was looking for something, and then I realized this is what I want to do with it. And it's not what she's doing. It's not what's not what those lyrics are about. But it sounded like that to me. It sounded like the kind of you know melancholy. The kind of there's a kind of ro- romance. You know the kind of you know it sounds sounds romantic, but it also sounds melancholic and it sounds maybe a little bit abusive like you know uh uh self-abusive but but that's me reading into it but also because the rest of the album has a number of songs that are about alcohol obsession he brings out the whiskey in me is another one that i i included in the film um which doesn't even rate a mention in pitchfork so um so that's that's what I and I you know that's so that's so that's interesting because that forever that song is about what I did to it um, and that's okay by me because I could have done something with it in my head anyway um, I just happened to externalize it so and um, it's you know I can kind of hear that stars like that's more important it's more substantial but I don't ever listen to them um, and maybe I will one day um, but I, I listened to this this record, and I have been for whatever, 10 years or so. What I remember is that you did that thing in your film, which is very unusual, which is basically you played a song and did a whole musical segment, just played the song with what I don't want to call B-roll, but essentially, yeah, there was no, you didn't play it under anything. Coincidentally, I also put Amy Mullins on from mm-hmm. that record in a film. Mm-hmm. But of course, it's my film, so I talked all over it. <laughs> and uh, I didn't talk, well, I don't know who talked. Somebody talked, there was talking. I don't remember which song it was, but it wasn't that one. It wasn't the whiskey one either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do remember, that's funny you said that, because I had friends who lived in, uh, you know, uh, what do you call that, say, uh, Cabbage Town. And they were always like, kind of like inviting me, like, come to Jet Fuel, you'll Amy Milan. I thought it's Milan. I don't know. Do you it probably know is. Yeah. yeah, I don't Amy know. Amy Milan is a barista. That was like, ooh, I'd go and like look at her there being a barista. I used to have a couple of Stars records. I liked Stars records. I mean, my reaction to you putting that in the song is that, in the film, is that, like many songs, all I hear is the most clear part which is pour me up another. And of course, that's why the song works in your film is because she's saying, mm-hmm. pour me up another. It doesn't matter that she may be saying, I believe I've read the lyrics and the lyrics appear to be like, I don't want to remember this guy that left me or a girl who left me or whoever. Mm-hmm. So pour me up another or tell me forget. Set him up, oh, Joe. Yeah, but whatever. It just like, it wor- you know, you just made a speech about the patheticness of you drinking. Now you have this sequence where you're walking around. I just, I kind of laugh because there was one part where you were walking and I thought, were you trying to walk pathetically there? Because you really looked like sad, a Mm. sad walk. Yeah, so a sad walk after making that speech and you looking the way you looked in those rooms with people drinking and sad music and pour me up another. 
classic. Yeah, pretty like of course it worked completely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, playing with the idea of I'm, I'm romancing the whole thing. I'm like I'm playing a game with myself, right? Uh, which is kind of you know we we end up going to an LCBO and buying a bottle of Jack Daniels. Yeah, and that's kind quite of a scene. Swirling, you know. But I'm, I'm romancing it, and I kind of know that, um, and I'm doing it on purpose just to kind of test the limits. And also just to go back on on this all this sacred ground, sober. So it's a little, it's like a little, like on the one hand I'm romancing, and on the other hand it's like, oh, fuck. Kinda, like I kind of hate it, right? And I've been back to the horseshoe many times sober, and I still feel like, Oh, I never noticed that the stage was there. <laughs> like I just things I never noticed because I was in a kind of haze, you know. Um, but yeah, she's saying, you know, pour me up another before bed. Uh, pour me up another, which could be a perfectly fine, healthy thing or not. And then it's it's a uh, it's easier to sing when I'm drinking, you know, uh, which I, is a line I really like. But it's really about the sound. Like it's like yes, it's about pour me up another. And then it's about this sound that I that that pitchfork disses, but I kind of like that little really super low key country thing that's going on. Oh, there, and then when the know? horns come in, yeah. the horns come in, it's yeah. it sound like the Salvation Army yeah. band, like like a Tom yeah. Waits thing going on. Exactly, that kind of works. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. it works. I mean, that's, you can't argue. You can't argue when some when the song works, and yeah, that definitely works. I was a bit sorry that I hadn't heard it. Like I, I knew Stars well and broke the social scene well, and um, I guess I was just probably um, withdrawing from rock criticism when this record came out. Two thousand six, I think this album's from. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, I didn't know it, and uh, so listening to it, I'm, I'm I actually was pleasantly, uh, well, not pleasantly surprised, but just impressed. I wish I'd heard it a long time ago. Um, and also, yes, the brass coming in kind of made it for me as well. I imagine that could be some stars people playing that, but uh, the line about, um, well, I think it was Jimmy said, pour me another before bed, that, that leapt out at me too. I, I do drink and I also drink at bedtime. So I, you know, it, it does help me sleep. Um, so that struck me, that line too. As I said in my film 25 years ago, I wish I drank more. I, I, I always feel like um, somehow uh, I, I, I almost have to apologize. People, and people do say to you, like, it's slightly accusingly. You don't drink much, do you? But they don't mean that in any way positively. They mean that as like, what's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, first of all, I never, I just, when I first left home and we were like going to the Elma Combo and Grossman's and all that, I, I, I poured down pitchers just because that's what was going. Mm -hmm. But then finally I was like, fuck, I hate the taste of this mm -hmm. beer. And then, I know this is kind of irrelevant, but it's just like then beer is so, you, like everybody, everybody that drinks, drinks beer. beer. People like you just, you see scenes in movies where guys walk in and they just hand them a beer, thanks. It's like, as if, as if, of course you want this. Everybody would want this. Oh, I have beer. Oh, everybody's happy. And I always feel out of place and not drinking beer. And it's like, beer's all around. And I say, oh, this guy's on the rocks. And it's like, okay, weirdo. But, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that, even, yeah, people, people, I, when you go out, you want to go, 
to, let's go have a beer. Like, I say, okay, but I'm not going to have a beer. And then people drink, you know, and I don't drink as much as them. Uh, that Just this reminds me, too, is that I have a few, I have a few friends who are alcoholics, but they're not self-identified as alcoholics. So it's more just like, I know that they drink a lot, but I never think they're an alcoholic until somebody says, well, you know, you know he's an alcoholic. Like, I have this one friend, like, it was like, it was like the swimmer. I'm writing, I wrote this thing that's a tribute to the swimmer. We were walking home and he was like, let's stop here. And then, let's stop here. And it's like, what, that was two blocks ago. Let's stop at this bar. Like, we just kept stopping at bars then. I run into him and his face is smashed up because he fell and I'm like, I'm not putting two and two together. Oh, oh, you're an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so I drink with alcoholics, but I have one scotch and I nurse it. And, but nonetheless, drinking as a romantic thing in movies and this, yeah, I, of course, everybody loves, you know, drinking scenes. Yeah. You know. yeah. I always like in movies how when the people go in and they sit down at the bar or the table and they come and they go, I'll have a beer, and then they hand them a beer. And I go, nobody does that. Nobody, like, nobody does that. They ask for a specific brand. Right. Like, I'll have a beer, please. Okay, here it is. This is our beer. And I always go, like, can't you just... Anyway, uh, the line that leapt out of me the first time I heard this song was... Um, early in the song where she sings blah 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 would everyone be quiet and then she goes the machine has come between me and my love and I just went what's the machine what is the machine is it you know is it the machine of life is it the machine of is it is it the machine of alcohol is it the machine like what is the machine the industry the yeah. industry like yeah. the, the music industry mm -hmm. like I, I just thought that's a very unusual line mm -hmm. it's all it's it, I just have for the hundredth time for this, I just have to say it's also, it's kind of interesting that we always end up uh, talking about lyrics when otherwise, just like for the hundredth time, I'll say, I never, well, I, ne I, never, I never think about lyrics unless I hear them mm. and I, I seldom hear them that much. I, 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 you know, we're gonna talk about Neil Young. I can hear Neil Young and nonetheless, I still don't quite put it together what they're saying and usually I don't hear so this I think proves all. your point in that I heard that song I knew whatever the lyrics were weren't exactly what I was going to do with it right. but it really was pour me up another but it was the sound of this, like it was the, yeah, it was the this, music it, yeah, itself yeah. and then that all you know worked but then I mean I I uh, when I made a couple of films with that my friend did the soundtrack for and then I wanted to do I was making a film about it was lovable about love and mm. about being single and I wanted like you know Sinatra and I wanted great old love songs I knew I couldn't afford them so we did a temp track with Canadian bands that we thought we could convince them and and I never, I didn't look at the lyrics for any of them. I used a lot of Great Lake swimmers. It just sounded. Mm -hmm. I just went on the assumption that these must be love songs because they sound like love songs. I don't think I ever looked, I had Amy, I just asked, right. 
Amy Milan, my friend Jack Breakfast had a couple of songs in there. Uh, you know, uh, a who's, I don't know, if, I don't think we had a stars song, but I can't remember who else. We just, everybody in Toronto, Howie Beck, etc. And it's like, I didn't look at the lyrics. They just, these sound like sad love songs. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that her, I think the one I picked probably was a kind of a love song, but, but yeah, anyway, I never, I don't look at the, yeah, it sounds like a sad well, I mean, song. When I used to listen to the Rolling Stones, I never knew half of what they were, especially Exile on Main Street. I didn't know what the words were. It took me forever. And it's not like I tried very hard either right. to go, what's Mick singing in this song? I just heard what I wanted to hear. Right. There's a song by the guy that used to be in the band, uh, oh, what's that guy? The Boo Radleys. Mm -hmm. He put out a solo album, and there's a, a song that I really, really like on it. And when I went later to look at the lyrics, they weren't what I thought they were at all. And it's the same with the Corey Hansen. Because, you, you know, the Corey, Corey, Corey Hansen, especially in the song that I chose, is he's got the guitar mix at the same level of his, as his vocal. Well, that's what I asked So, you yeah. So uh, I just thought, well, that's kind of weird that he's doing that. But I was hearing different lyrics, and I went and checked the song out, and I went, oh, this is not about anything that I thought it was about. I didn't even... I like what, it, I, like what I thought it was about more, you know? I didn't but, even think about... I didn't, wouldn't even... The, the only... The last thing I'll say about that, as, as weird as it is that I don't care... As, as much as I don't care about lyrics, and I think they might as well be singing in Russian, no, I don't like it when it is Russian. Do you feel... I don't like, I don't like it when it is... I mean, it's, like, it's not like I don't like any foreign language singing but i'm just saying i don't i often like don't like some like it seems like a novelty to me to listen to a i'm going to say latvian rock band that i don't know at all what they're saying mm -hmm. i guess i want to hear so english when, sounding syllables but i so when you're listening to the crooners that you like sing the great american songbook are yeah you, then i hear the lyrics you, yeah are the yeah. lyrics yeah are they important to you, or is it more the sound of the guy's voice or the woman's voice? Well, that's a really good question, and I don't know. I would say, yeah, like lyrics is a whole subject. It's like, that's what I'm saying. Lyrics is this whole subject. You know, okay, I'm gonna, I'll ask Karen because, you know, how many hundreds of articles, reviews have I read of bands, and they are talking about the lyrics, and I'm like, I don't care. Why? Like I know, because they're easier to talk about. Because we talk, we we can talk about words better than we can talk about music. Um, it's also the voice, right? If you're if you're reviewing Bob Dylan, so you can you can describe the quality of his voice, but you're going to do, do that same thing over and over again because it's ineffable. So you in, invariably you're going to talk about the lyrics. Of course, in that case, his lyrics are brilliant, and his voice is great, and the music's great, but. Um, you know, I think the the thing about the crooner songs and the Great American Songbook is that the lyrics, it's kind of like the lyrics are banal mo most of the time, but I enjoy that they somehow seem profound within the context of the song and the way they're singing, even though sometimes they're just stupid. Mm -hmm. Not stupid, but kind of boring like you say it's weird to read the lyrics you could almost read 
Amy Moan lyrics almost as poetry, but you couldn't, can't read, I don't know, like uh, a lot of those songs as poetry. Well, they are just cool. Porter. Yeah. Some of his lyrics are pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I hear Nick Cave, I hear every word he's saying. Mm -hmm. I hear Neil Young, I hear certain people that, whatever, and sometimes I like, I, I'm a, I love American Music Club, I hear his lyrics. Nonetheless, I still don't know what the fuck he's talking I don't really know what he's talking about. I was just talking about one of his songs on a podcast the other day, and I don't know what it means. A, 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 a performer has to learn how to disappear in the silk and amphetamine. I don't know what that means, mm. but I like it. Yeah, it's but, a, to, to pick up on what you're saying, Alan, about uh, in, in, in reviews, if, if I go far enough back to remember when I was doing it, I tried not to write about lyrics too often, but I often use them as a hook. I think writers often do that. It's like, I mean, that Pitchfork review is maybe an outlier, well, not an outlier, but it, that was focusing, I think, unnecessarily on, on lyrics. Uh, nitpicking, as they would say in Spinal Tap. But um, I think uh, generally it would often be like a cheap hook. I'd be like almost just a way in, and it's not really what I wanted to talk about as a, as a critic. Um, but likewise, <clears throat> I, would, I would say that I'm horrible at parsing lyrics. I actually don't, ever since I was a kid, I didn't understand a lot of lyrics. I would hear them wrong. I would listen to like, you know, songs with relatively simple lyrics, like I go on the Bunnymen or something like that. And I would realize years later that I would, you know, I was I was hearing them as nonsense, and they actually weren't nonsense. But uh, mm. so when I think about lyricists, I do really love Nick Cave would be a, a really good example. Kate Bush maybe where I actually feel like I'm getting something literary out of it. <clears throat> My favorite lyricists are actually the ones where they are more open-ended. Like I, you know, I love The Fall. I love Wire. I always go on about these bands, but their lyrics are. They're almost, they almost it coexist side by side with the music, almost like some sort of architecture that um, maybe wouldn't make that much sense on paper or would be, at least in the case of, say, Marky e. Smith's words for the fall, like they would go down a lot differently if you were reading them. You know, it's more like in the tradition of Beefheart or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it works really well, but most people would think, this is, what is, that? what is this guy even talking about? It only makes sense to me when I hear it as part of the logic of the music. Um, so that's when I guess I enjoy lyrics the most. Yeah. And we could do a whole other episode on Leonard Cohen, who's the obvious yeah. person in this discussion. Uh, but I, I, I'm just going to say one little, one little footnote, and then maybe we'll go on to uh, either of the other two songs on the, on the uh, table. Um, yeah, for me, the, the weirdest lyric experience I had was one of my favorite pop songs from the kind of, you know, new wave power pop era was uh, Girl of My Dreams by Bram Tchaikovsky. And uh, it's a Nick Lowe produced song. It's really fantastic. And I just really liked it. And then years later, I re I'm listening to it and I realized this is about a sex doll, like, a, <laughs> you know, and then I, it just seemed too ick to like. And it, 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 I felt really um, cheated. I couldn't really listen to that song with the same, you know, I had the same kind of feeling that I had, say, listening to, um, you know, American Squirm by Nick Lowe or some early Elvis Costello and all that. And then it's like, ah, I can't do it now. Now. So. I love a song that is about something that you don't think it is, that you take it at face value. One that in the same genre that springs to mind is Starry Eyes by The Records. Mm -hmm. You know, like that song, it just sounds like kind of a, a kiss off to a potential romantic interest 
who has disillusioned you in some way. And it, it's about their manager. It, they're firing their manager in the song. And it makes it so much better because it's just, and then you, you actually look at the lyrics or you listen to what he's singing. And it's, it's really quite technical. Like he's talking about, you know, stuff going on in the office and, and, and receipts and the fact that their manager's off in France vacationing while, while the band have to do all the work. And it actually just gains something from that. The fact that it isn't a song about romance. It's just, it's actually a boring song about firing your manager, but it's not boring at all. Um, Jefferson Airplane has a song called Turn My Life Down on Volunteers. And for many, many years, I thought it was sort of this upbeat sort of 60s thing because I didn't really pay attention to the lyrics at all for years. And I just thought, oh, this really captures the zeitgeist of like. And then I looked at the lyrics and they're like, they're, it's borderline despairing. It's about someone who's like in a state of despair. But the music is almost antithetical to, what, to, to the lyric. So I just found that mm -hmm. fascinating at the time. So, should we do Neil Young or Corey Hansen? Let's do Neil Young. Yeah. All right. I mean, that's our tradition to go to the guest next and then. I gotta clear the pipes for a sec. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me, not COVID. <coughs> chronic, chronic cough. I always have to explain this to people. <coughs> it's kind of a pour me up another song anyway, so. Yeah, it's okay. a good, I think it's a good uh, segue. segue. Yeah. Do you want to play it this time? I'm, I played the other one. Well, you want no, to take no, it outside, okay, Alan? <laughs> <laughs> well, I got. I, I I apologize in that you were setting it up, but on the other hand, you didn't have to set it up with the that much negativity from the review. But I did. But you did. So what are you going to do? Well, whatever. <laughs> I tried to interrupt you and I failed, but I'm not going to apologize. But now I would like you to play the song and then have Kieran talk about why he chose it. Rather than why, the other way around. Uh, why? Why I give it? I give it a five point seven. Okay. Can we?
Now, a lot of people will tell you that Cortez the Killer is the best song on that record. And for a long time, I might have been one of those people. But um, <clears throat> yeah, that, that one I came to, uh, well, I should say, for a, for a start, on the, you know, on the theme, uh, I chose it because that, like I was talking about before, is one of those songs, I think, where the lyrics either changed for me over time or they sort of unfolded. I think, you know, lived experience can make you experience a song differently, obviously. And, you know, I, I first heard that song, I was a teenager. I actually am, am a bit embarrassed to say that I didn't, I don't think I heard Neil Young's version before I heard a cover of mm -hmm. it uh, on the bridge compilation that came out, that uh, fundraiser album that, you know, Sonic Youth were on and uh, the Pixies doing Winter Long and stuff like that. Nick Cave was on it, his version of Helpless, I think. And Soul Asylum uh, covered that song. And for my money, it's the best thing they ever recorded. Uh, I'm not a huge Soul Asylum fan. I, I like a few of I their songs. I think made it clear there. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that their version, of, I think their version of that is stunning. And, and although it's actually a very straight read, and I won't say it's better than the original, but uh, <clears throat> it's, a lot, it's a little glossier. It, it sounds like the stadium-ready band they were by 1989 or whenever that record came out. 19, 18, it was 89 or 90. Um, <clears throat> but that pointed me back toward the original and back toward Zuma. And um, yeah, I think as a, as a teenager at the time, I thought, well, this is just a, this is a, this is a sad, boozy song. It's, you know, it's like I didn't take things nearly as, things just didn't have the gravity that they, that they would have later. You know, I, I drank as a teenager, but I was still, it was, it was still glamorous, at, at least in my eyes. Um, the notion of being, uh, you know, in a bar, drowning your sorrows or whatever, whatever I thought the song was about. And of course, um, I think, you know, it, listening to it now, it has a lot more import, a lot more sort of um, gravity to it. Um, and uh, I kind of feel like it's a rewarding listen in a way. Uh, the lines like, like burn off all the fog, you know, like, uh, it's sort of, I think the first verse seems to be sort of about, I think a more basic picture of alcohol, an alcoholic haze and, uh, you know, his mind moving fast, conversation being slow. Um, but the, 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 I think it's the second verse, the third verse, the one that probably is about Danny Witten from Crazy Horse. I'm sort of, a, I, I assume that it's about Danny Witten, but I mean, that's, that's a presumption on my part. Uh, the friend, the friend of his who died a thousand deaths, mm. you know, it's, you know, you, you get older and you, you lose people. It's, I don't, yeah, it's weird. I don't interpret that the same way at all. I'm not, I'm, yeah, I don't. The, it's, the, the, it's funny that you're mentioning Danny Witten only because I, I had, tonight it's tonight, and I had uh, uh, On the Beach, and I had this record, and I thought, this was Zuma was the third record in the Ditch trilogy because I had no idea that time fades away or whichever one or whichever yeah. or that the other one that that is in the so that they're all they all go together all these Neil Young of that period mm -hmm. go together like and they're I I don't even know where to start how I. It's almost like I forgot how important they were. It's like I didn't even want to acknowledge, but I'm I'm doing uh, 
I'm doing a podcast talking about tonight's tonight in a couple of weeks. So I didn't even know how to talk about Neil Young. But it's funny. I just, when I was listening to those lyrics, or you can go on. I just didn't hear Danny, Danny Witten as much as he's part of tonight's tonight, obviously, and maybe in other songs too. I took it a little more literally uh, that he said he, he met a woman on her, he made his bed, and, and now he's with that woman, and being with that woman involves dying a thousand deaths. Mm -hmm. That's how I take it. Because a die a thousand deaths is not about dying, it's about <laughs> having a thousand horrible nights, and uh, yeah, that's how I... That's how I felt about the song, too. I, like, I got Zuma when it came out, and uh, Loved it. I mean, I was I was a massive, massive Neil Young fan during that period. Like huge, he was number one for me. And um, I always thought I, I knew I knew enough about Neil Young from reading interviews with him and reading about him that a lot of the songs on Zoom are about the breakup of his marriage to Carrie Snodgrass. So I always thought that Barstool Blues was about that mm. about him breaking up and uh, well, she's yeah you assume she's the one in stupid in the, girl. In the movies and yeah in, that he saw in yeah, the magazines yeah, yeah. Or, or you know only because she because he only ever went out with one sort of movie star mm. and uh, uh huh well he's married to uh, uh oh, oh yeah, yeah he's he's Daryl Hannah yeah. until now yes Very yeah good. No, that's, but, that's actually true. I, I believe that that is the case, that he is talking about her. Yeah. He's talking about Carrie but well, at the end, when he's saying, I had a friend who died a thousand deaths, is he talking about himself? Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. I thought he was putting himself in the third person at the time. So, It's telling, actually, because I guess maybe sometimes when you overthink these things where you try to externalize them, I think it was only before this podcast where I thought, what, did, what could he mean? And I started to presume... Mm -hmm. uh, that it was another uh, instance of, of, uh, of, of him, you know, paying tribute. But you're right. I always actually internalized it and thought about like personal experiences or friends of mine who'd, you know, yeah. gone through relationship well, problems and stuff. Yeah, I mean, the thing that's interesting about those lyrics when you can hear them is, you know, they don't fit. To, they could fit. You, you, we try to fit them together. But maybe they don't fit yeah. together. Maybe no. they're just different verses, different things. They're, yeah. you know, like I can't remember. I did, I, I, you know, whatever. When people write lyrics, I'm just amazed. Oh, I've said this before that they write lyrics like they're musicians and they can play some chords and they can put some patterns of music together because of chords. But then they have to write lyrics, which is like. Now you're a novelist, like now you're a writer. And so I, anytime anybody talks about how they write lyrics, I think, I, you know, and, and I think if I wrote lyrics, I would do what some other person said they did, which is write down snippets. Please stop taking my picture. Uh, well, whatever, or just don't point, the, don't point the camera at me. But um, yeah, so I'm just saying, like, it's inter when you can hear the, he's not telling a song. A guy went here, then he went there, then he went there, then he was happy. I think there are lyrics, songs like that. I don't know, I can't name one, but you know, um, 
But like, you know, he said Leonard Cohen, like when he says, uh, for some reason this is reminding when he says, I heard that you went clear, mm -hmm. whatever. Like, you know, what does that, what does that mean? Like you yeah. kind of think. Well, years later that, we know that he, he was referring to uh, her being in, in Scientology, Scientology right? yeah. but that's but I think decades passed before that was. You I know. took that to mean something different because, for some reason, there's a there's a very clear song on the first Glenn Wainwright song called "Glad to See You Got Religion," and he's basically saying, "I'm glad you got it, but I'm still fu like fucked up." So I okay. I took clear to be religion, but I didn't take it to be Scientology. But anyway, I'm just, you know, it's almost like I'm saying, is it better to have a lyric where you know what they well, are talking there's, about or when you're... There's your, also the option, I think, with something like Leonard Cohen. It's like he, he, that was his personal meaning, but he knows when you put the words out into the world, they, they can mean a million things. And that's... That's what makes it great. I think with with and, and I and I feel that way all the time that I'm listening to Leonard Cohen. I'm like I'm not. I'm in a different world. I'm a different universe than, than him, and, and on a different plane, right? So, but I'm enjoying the lyrics, whatever they mean to me. But with Neil Young, it's more like I have to admit this is a song where I, I just kind of like I, I I've never really listened to the lyrics. Yeah. So it's a t typical case, but it's a quintessential Neil Young song. And then I like the lyrics once I'm forced to not forced to but when i'm when i come to listen to the lyrics i enjoy them and they're quite they're quite clever and uh pleasant uh but but even 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 hearing it as garble but not like translated to swedish or something it's true like still kind of english um it's a quintessential neil young song for me yeah like uh i don't know if it's better than cortez doesn't matter um but it's like that's that, like that's Neil Young to, for me, like yeah. just you know, just the, you know. Well, it feels like he learned to write lyrics. Well, I mean, first of all, yeah, Neil Young. I think it's fair to say that Neil Young wrote more great songs that sound almost exactly like the other great song, mm -hmm. but not quite enough for you to go. That is the other song, mm -hmm. like. He just slightly changes it, and you're like, "Oh, that that sounds like a hundred Neil Young songs." Yet, mm -hmm. not exactly. And then he learned how to write lyrics. I don't know how, because this, this lyric, this, this is a quintessential Neil Young song. Mm. Like, he's often addressing somebody. He's often talk, old man, look at my life. Uh, Etc. He's often, but you don't know, you know, you don't know what he's exactly saying to these people, or even, you know. But but then musically too, like uh, he can be covered by Soul Asylum. But when you hear Neil Young, it's like no one sounds quite like him on the guitar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It, it's there's a, like obviously the. It's, or like crazy horse. Right? Yeah, yeah, and and this really is quintessential that sound. It's like it, it is what every if anyone's imitating Neil Young as a guitar player, this is what they're imitating, uh, at least as far as being playing electric guitar. It's actually funny that you're mentioning that because I saw, I saw this thing. I don't know what song it was, but it was like, you know, it was all these stars on stage, kind of like Neil Young at the last waltz, mm -hmm. but it wasn't Neil Young at the last waltz. But it was 
something with guitar. I can't, and it and it's just like everybody was singing a verse, and then and like when he sang a verse, it's like oh, you know, they shouldn't have given you a, like that. Just sounds like the other people are different voices singing verses, but they're still like somewhere in this song. Mm -hmm. Now it's like now you're making a Neil Young song, but then the other thing was that he played a guitar solo, and he. And it just even seemed stupid to me that he was doing that rocking thing that he does mm -hmm. when he plays the guitar. It's like, like <laughs> be part of the group here. Like, <laughs> you know, Eric Clapton played a solo. He sang a thing. Everybody tried to like whatever, and now you're just like, you know, it's like Neil Young in Tears Are Not Enough. Like, mm -hmm. why? What's it? What's <laughs> <laughs> when you know? I first the the, o the only time I saw Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young was in. 2000, 2001, I, I can't mm. remember, the one before the uh, Living With War tour. I saw that one. <laughs> and they opened with Carry On, an old chestnut. And uh, they come out, and so like, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, they're all standing in front of their mics and singing. And like, Neil's in the back, out of the light, sort of like, walking around, <laughs> just going like, da, 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 da. he's just like walking around, not looking at the audience, and he's just sort of bopping. And I went, of course, of course, that's what he would do. Because I, cause I always, well, I can't imagine what it's like to watch these four guys together, because they've had so many ups and downs and stuff, and what is their dynamic on stage? And the dynamic for him was like, I'm here, but I'm not here, yeah. you know? Well, like, it's history. I'll, I'll wait for my song, and then I'll step forward. Well, the I'm, Living With War took it to another level, because they were, like, playing together really well, but they were also kind of at war with each other, right? Um, at least Stills and Young were. And it was kind of fun, because they were, they were showing off in a kind of entertaining way. But then, so, rocking so hard, though, that Stills broke his arm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of, like, and the show was going to go on for a long time, and then he broke his arm <laughs> playing guitar he fell fell didn't he, he fell yeah down. he fell yeah it's funny though neil young's relationship or to the in that performance uh it's it's sort of like the way it's even gone down historically like i used to you know i always wondered like why why where was neil young why wasn't he at woodstock and then i found out years later he was playing with them at woodstock he just didn't yeah. want to be in the movie and they cut him yeah. out of it yeah you know mm. so it's yeah. like it's funny that you know that's in hist for history for the, for the record it's not it's csn not csny even though he was actually there yeah mm. like yeah, well one of his songs is on the album on yeah. uh, he was there the woodstock soundtrack in the background <laughs> playing a Joni mitchell song called woodstock that she wasn't there for because she was on the Dick Cavett show right? <laughs> or something like that, right? I think, I mean, I think we, we probably have, we can agree that like, you know, parsing his lyrics in, in the exact way is impossible. And is, is, and I think to your point, Alan, it's not, not it's, it's sort of a fool's errand to do that in general, uh, I think, unless the song is very, very specific. But um, I will say that he is, I think he's profoundly good at writing breakup songs and heartbreakers. I, one of my favorite songs by him is Expecting to Fly from mm -hmm. like the Buffalo Springfield mm -hmm. days because I, I found it extremely moving and he was just kind of getting a feel for it at that point and it sounds so grandiose but it's so heartbreaking. And this, I find, I really do, whatever he's saying, I find it a profoundly sad song but it also has this sort of uplift and this kind of, you know, it has the counterpoint that you need. Um, my flip side to that, I guess I would say, is in terms of covers, 
the Tom Diabo cover, which I don't know if you guys have heard, <laughs> came out. I think it was recorded in this German guy by this German guy in his house in '79, '80, mm. uh, and the album came out years later. He had died, and he died at the age of 30 in 1988. What's the name? Tom Diabo. He was a, a German guy who was Love yeah, he was like a home recordist, uh, and I think he was. I think he was. I don't really know what he did contemporaneous. <laughs> You know, when he was alive, I don't know what his output was at all, but I only knew it as something that was released years later. And he does this extremely, uh, you know, just stripped down drum machine, sort of fuzzy electric guitar, and he reads the lyrics like, I mean, it's sort of subcraft for, but that sounds terribly condescending for me to phrase it that way. I love his version. It doesn't have, it, it almost sapped of emotion. Uh, and he's uh, there's lots of echo on the vocal, and um, it sort of adds a little, maybe unintentionally. It adds, it actually makes the song a bit funny. So as as an antidote to how uh, sad and moving I find the original, I listen to the Tom Diablo cover and I think, okay, now I can actually smile at these lyrics. Mm. A bit, you know? mm. <laughs> Tom Diablo does Dark Star. Wow, <laughs> that's I've the never, name of the record. Oh, that's actually. the name of the record. Yeah, okay. yeah. I don't, and I was wondering I don't know if, if he, he does did. the yeah, song. Yeah, I, I was. I haven't looked yeah. into whether he ever covered Dark Star, but yeah, that was the name does of the. That, I just want to say, I'm not saying trying to interpret the lyrics are is a fool's errand. I'm saying, I wish I could interpret <laughs> the lyrics. It just, you know, when I try, and if I ever read about what it's about, I'm wrong, and and. Yeah, it's like, uh, well, for instance, this is a very small point, but when he said, old man, look at my wife, I'm a lot like you, I was sure he was talking about his father, but he, he says no. Hmm. He was talking about an old man he met on his ranch. Hmm. And, uh, uh, but I was trying to think, there, a man needs a maid, like, there must be some, oh, I know, like Bruce Berry was a working man, he, Wrote the O'Connell line band. It's pretty. There's. I don't think there's any doubt what he's talking about there. Like he, he and he and he died. Yeah. yeah. But although funny thing is, when you read about Bruce Berry, he was. I don't know. I, something happened, and nobody liked Bruce Berry, and nobody would hire Bruce Berry, and even Neil, I think, wouldn't hire Bruce Berry anymore. Oh, Bruce Berry, like he sold his guitar, like he stole Neil's guitar. I'm not, I'm, mm -hmm. if you're a Bruce Berry's family, I'm sorry what I'm saying. But I'm just saying, he's writing about Bruce Berry, but it kind of sounds like he didn't really love Bruce Berry. And maybe he's only writing about Bruce Berry because he doesn't say, Danny Whitten was in my band. Yeah. He died, he sings about Bruce Berry. But anyway, yeah, you know, uh, I've never really read any, like, yeah, somebody said, why don't you read Shaky before you do that podcast? And I was like, because I kind of like being ignorant, mm -hmm. like, but uh, I don't really know. Yeah, for a guy that I love as much as Neil Young, that's true, I don't know anything about him. There is something especially impenetrable about him, too. I did read Shaky years ago. I don't really remember it that well, but it did feel like for something where he seemed to be involved for most of the writing of the book, he, he, he almost, he seemed to have a wall up, as I recall, if mm -hmm. I recall correctly. Yeah. Also, that book, I, that book kind of annoyed me towards the end. Mm -hmm. I was like, this book is as much about the writer as it is about yeah. Neil, because the, the upshot of the book is, Neil wanted me to write this book about him. We did all this stuff together. 
I have my opinions about Neil Young and his albums and this and that, and I agree with David Briggs about Tonight's the Night. It could have been a much better album than it was, and this is my opinion. And then, and then, and then Neil ghosted me, said he didn't want to talk to me anymore. And that's the end of the book. And I kind of went like, oh, fuck you, dude. <laughs> like, fuck you. Who do you, you know? At least Neil didn't beat him with a cane <laughs> yeah. like Ginger Baker at the end of that Ginger Baker <laughs> yeah. documentary. Like, exactly. Where he actually just wails on the filmmaker finally. I mean, that being said, it is a valuable book. But, uh, you okay. know, I just, you know, I don't, I don't have to love the guy who wrote the book. To, yeah, you know, Neil to, Young, I don't think, years ago, like Neil Young makes movies, so he doesn't need anybody. Yeah. But years ago when... People I knew knew Elliot Roberts. We approached him to try and make a film, and I'm not surprised he wasn't interested. I don't think there ever will be a film, although now I see he's being interviewed a lot, and he's well. This Jim Jarmusch film, and I mean, this like different film. All those yeah. films by Jonathan Demme. Jonathan Demme, right? Right, I guess. They're Mainly not, performance. but they're not they're performance, they're performance films. Yeah. Performance yeah. films. But yeah. I know what you mean. It's not. They're not like. But uh, yeah, he's, he's yeah. he. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the thing is, what I can't is he a curmudgeon, or is he oh, just oh most definitely, or is he just like the thing with quitting those bands? I can see if you're in the band that would be annoying, but I also can see his point of view. Like, why should you? Like, I think it was unnatural for him to be in Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. I don't know why he ever joined them. I have I know that they made big records, but Crosby, Stills and Nash made sense. Crosby's still Nash and Young he didn't joined, make sense. He joined because two reasons. He joined because Stills wanted uh, uh, another lead guitarist in the group he for, for live performance. He should have chosen a and guitar player. He, and what's his name? Um, Warner's guy. The guy who was uh, the, the head of Warner's uh, who died about ten years ago. Um, oh, come on. I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. I'm blanking as well. Yeah. Yeah. He pushed them into hiring him because right. he wanted to get that Springfield kind of vibe going. Right. I guess I'm just basing it on that. I have often said, like, and Neil, I have a, there's a good Stills record. Yeah. Solo record. There's, there's a good a Graham good Nash solo record. There's a good David Crosby solo record. But there's not three. Well, maybe two Manassas and, like, I'm just saying, they were perfect for each other because they're not really solo. But he's a, a most prolific solo yeah. ever. Why would he join, yeah. you know, that's, and try to... Because I just think yeah. it's because he... That's what he... like. Although he's a curmudgeon, he's just one of those people who's going to go, no, I'm going to do this, no, I'm going to do this. Like, his whole career yeah, has been, like like Dylan, just going, well, no, I'm going to do a radio show. Now I'm going to do, you know, just, just kind of... And some, some of those things are going to stick and some aren't. Uh, but although I hear what you're saying, um, I was thinking too about the, you know, parsing lyrics and all that. Uh, I like I like singers who give you a different answer each time. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they're just being assholes, but uh, or both here, or sometimes it's just like you know the, the song, like John Lennon is a kind of classic example. Every time he spoke about things he would just deny what he'd said earlier about the song or deny the obvious like lucy in the sky with diamonds like you know deny the obvious because it's boring go it's about an acid trip right even though it's coded as an acid trip lsd um but it's it's like more interesting to say i don't know it's like 
a, draw, Lewis, a drawing my son brought home. Right. Yeah. Both could be true. Lewis well. Carroll. You know. Yeah. yeah, both could be true. And also it's like it, over time they may want to have a different, uh, a different interpretation of their own song. You know? Yeah. I think that's valid. Speaking to Neil Young's similarity of the similarity of the songs, uh, on the album Year of the Horse, do you, have you heard that album, Kieran, that live album, Year of the Horse? They do Barstool Blues on that album, Yeah, actually. I've heard that, I've heard that live version. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just before the record starts, like you put it on, the first song, I think, is When You Dance, and uh, this voice goes, they all sound the same. <laughs> and Neil Young goes, it's all the same song. <laughs> And last night, uh, he played uh, live at the in L.A. I think he's doing for the it first time three yeah. for the first time uh, solo, and some drunk guy yelled, uh, uh, "What did he say? You're, you're always the same. You're always the same." And Neil said uh, his response was, "I don't even recognize myself." <laughs> <laughs> so. Amit Erdogan was the guy's name. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, Amit Erdogan. Yeah, yeah. Atlanta. He, he pushed the yeah. three of them to he was get Atlanta. Neil Young yeah. in the band. It's funny that, that, that you're always the same. Uh, that reminds me of, to go back to the fall, which I inevitably do, reminds me of the famous uh, John Peel line, uh, he, how he described the fall. Always the, uh, always the same, but always different. <laughs> yeah. you know, that was his description of the fall. <laughs> All right. Well, there's always lots to say about Neil Young, so. So let's move on. Move on. We'll come back to him. <laughs> okay, so we're going to try playing this. this Rick came, brought a choice out of left field. Yeah, I chose this song uh, simply because last week I was made aware of this record and uh, I played it and I had, and I, I guess I don't want to talk about the song so much, maybe uh, We'll play the song first, and we'll talk about it. Um, um, I'll, t I'll tell you why. Although, I'll just say it's been a long time since I've played a record repetitively. Like when I was 18, or 25 even, or 30, a record would come out, and I'd be really, really crazy about it, and I'd play it over and over and over again. And that stopped after a certain point in my life. And I think, funnily enough, the last time... Sorry, I don't know who your wife is. Well, I don't know who your husband is. Sorry about that. Um, uh, I, uh, uh, I played, uh, uh, I, it was a Neil Young album. It was Prairie Wind. And I, I became aware that I was playing Prairie Wind over and over again the way I did when, and I went, wow, I haven't done this since I was, you know, in my, in my early 30s or 20s, where I just go, oh, I really like this record. I'm going to play but. When I played this record, and I mean, people can you can all say whatever you want about it, um, uh, I played it three times in one day. I never do that because yeah. I was so fascinated by it. Like I was, I, I had a visceral kind of oh, I love this, and but I just kept wanting to hear okay, it. Okay, let's hear what so you love. This is the opening track on the record by Corey Hansen. It's called Wind. As soon as we can get it. Wind. 
That's an outro with that, right? Mm. Okay, so what I wanted to well, briefly, Corey Hansen is in a, a, a band called Wand, who are kind of a, a, a psychedelic, I would say they're kind of a psychedelic band, sort of modern psychedelia. Uh, really nothing like that mm -hmm. at all. Also, I played some of his other solo albums, nothing like this at all. Right, this I is like a straight early. ahead guitar record. It's right. like he made a decision. I heard something on YouTube that from four years ago when it was kind like of, on NPR is kind of like Wilco. Yeah, man, kind yeah. of. Yeah, like he, um, I played one of his records, the uh, Capitalist. What's it called? The Capitalist of Limbo or something. That album, his previous record. And it's all this kind of lushly orchestrated, like it has strings behind it, every song, and it's a completely different feel. And then uh, I think the one that, uh, that precedes that one is sort of in the same neighborhood, but it's not, it's more acoustic. And then Wand is like really heavy. Yeah, yeah. Are, got, you, are you familiar with Wand? Yeah, I, they've got a couple of really great records. Yeah. Um, Flying Gollum, maybe? I can't remember. There's one from like 2014. I only heard it for the first time in the past year and yeah. some friends friends turned me on to it yeah. but, but very different I would yeah. never have guessed it was that was somebody from that, yeah, yeah yeah so that intrigued me but uh, but it's the music that got to me now, this isn't completely what we just heard isn't completely representative of the music that's on the rest of the album the the el the, the the music kind of uh, even though there's a lot of loud guitar on it lends itself to a kind of like the album is called Western Come yeah um, you should pardon the expression, and uh, <laughs> it's got kind of a... What does that mean, Western cum? Like C-U-M, cum. No, I know, but I'm but, saying like... Well, I guess that's what his description of the sound of the record, because a lot of the, there's country, you can hear a country thing going through the, going through the record in a lot of the songs. So it's almost as, I, I described it as uh, if, if uh, Tom well, Verlaine and... Um, Bob Mould went to the new writers of the Purple Sage and said, you know what you guys really need? You need really fucking loud guitars and a heavy drummer. And it might sound something like that. But like, I played it for the album for a friend of mine last night and he said it reminded him, he said, this is like Wilco only like much more, like much heavier and much, but I also hear, I hear television and a lot of his playing I hear I hear Verlaine mm -hmm. I hear Bill Nelson at times like Bebop Deluxe mm. in some of his mm. but I mean I don't know Kari Hansen from a hole in the ground he might say oh I've never listened to any of them I mean guys, if he hasn't but, heard uh, Girlfriend from Matthew Sweet that's yeah. the other Robert I'd Quine I was really thinking. surprised yeah I was thinking yeah. this guy's obviously listened to Robert Quine yeah there's a big Quine factor there yeah. I thought it, it's I mean First of all, I'm really glad that, to hear that for the first time. I really enjoyed it, and it's a compound of a bunch of things I love. Yeah. I, it did remind me a lot of sort of latter-day power pop. I thought of Sloan. I thought of yeah. the Super Friends, you know, which yeah. is not really latter-day. It's going back a bit. But, like, yeah. you know, it, what, halfway through the song, though, it's, it felt like, like Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy came in or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like so, That's what I like about yeah. the record is, like, your it's like that thing when you're listening to it and you're thinking it's going in a particular direction that you that you know only too well and then he changes it up and goes somewhere off in a completely different direction but is still in the body of the song this that song is kind of a thumbnail of what he does on the record 
So and there is a, a, definitely a crazy horse factor on mm -hmm. the album yeah. as well. Well, yeah, you can, that, that, you can hear that, you don't the do you move at the end there. Tommy really, Keen yeah. also that. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That, you know, so just the funny thing about that. So I looked up the lyrics. Right. Oh, you found them. Yeah. So here's here's the weird thing is, I would have thought even the chorus was high on a wing. That's what but I it's, heard. It's I'm on a wing, but the lyrics, like. I read these lyrics and it's like, why did you bother writing these lyrics? Not one person heard any of these words yeah, yeah. through solid gold binoculars, the tears of the snowman froze right to his face. Well, I snuck in through the carousel and found there was plenty of air out here on the wing. I just had to drag you down because it's been 10 years now since you gunned my father down. Yeah. Fuck off. Like, I mean, like, like you know, Cut-up technique. I almost think this is a joke. Yeah, could he, be. They asked him for the lyrics, and he wrote these lyrics, but really, he's just going, ah, 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 ah. It's just not, there's no words, because I don't hear one word except wing. Yeah. Wing and on are yeah, the that's only all I words hear too. I can hear. I do think some lyrics are written as but an But since you don't care about lyrics, no, I don't matter. I don't care at all. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just wondering... Because I turned it on during the song, thinking if I'm hearing the song, will I hear any of these lyrics when I'm staring at them? No. I must confess, uh, there's a couple of other songs where he does that, where he's matching the, the melody of his line with the guitar, and the guitar is as loud as his voice, and yeah. I'm going, why is he, he's made an interesting decision here. And uh, on my stereo, though, it's a little, it's a little mo not on this song, but on the other couple of songs, it's more clear. But what he tends to do is he'll come in super heavy and then he quiets down and then he sings the verse and then gets real loud again. And the verses are very sort of like you might hear like a new writer's kind of thing or flying burrito ball kind of like, and there's steel, there's pedal steel and beautiful sort of backing singing going on. And it's, it's unusual. Anyway, the, the main reason I chose the song is because I wanted to talk about like your your experiences of when you hear a record as opposed to going the thing about Neil Young and me even though he's was number one with me is that whenever I played a Neil Young the first time when it came out uh, this is almost true of all of them uh, I'd go ah, it's not very good that's too bad this is not a good album Harvest Harvest was the first Neil Young solo album I ever heard. And I just went, oh, this is awful. Country Western, this isn't as good as Four Way Street, which like the only other album I had with any Neil Young on it and the Woodstock soundtrack. And I went, what the hell's the matter with them, all these pedal steels? You know, but I kept playing it and playing it and playing it. And then I, oh, it's a masterpiece. The only Neil Young albums that I've ever played um, and liked immediately and gone, this is a fucking fantastic album, is Tonight's the Night and Sleeps with Angels. Every other Neil Young record, my first hit is always, I really missed the boat on this one. That's too bad. Oh well, I'll play it again tomorrow. And this one? This album? Yeah. Yeah, saying. the thing about this album is I went, I fucking love this. I love this song. What's the rest of the album? Played the whole album. I went, oh my God, I love this album. And then, like, I was driving to work. I had a night shift doing location support on Murdoch Mysteries. And I drove to Kitchener. And I played the whole album 
driving, it's not a very long album, it's only 39 minutes long, 39 and change, played the whole record, then I, when I drove home at the end of my shift, I played it again. And then I played it the next day. And then when my friend came over last night, I said, you got to hear this record and tell me what you think of it because I'm going to be talking about it a bit tomorrow. Did you play it for Yannick Bisson? No. Yeah, no. I'll, I'll try it. Like, Yannick, Yannick, come here, come here. But I, 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 I'm interested in hearing from you guys albums that hit you that way where you just went, oh, my God, this is fan-fucking-tastic. That's the reason. I'm that was the main reason I chose the song. I well, I can remember, but I can also remember though. Like, even recently, like, you have to trust my love. Even though later on I might go, that wasn't quite as good as I thought. Um, so in the case of Neil Young, I really love uh, "Comes a Time." It's a really nice album. But then, uh, you know, um, um, "Rust," uh, "Rust Never Sleeps" comes out. And uh, maybe there's an album in between that I forgot. But, uh, you know, and that totally hit me. Like, and I still kind of feel that. I still feel like that was the best. Even though it's, I, I don't necessarily think it's the best album, but it, was, it is the best album because I had the most amazing reaction to it. It was like, mm-hmm. this is the album I need right now at age 15, you know, when that came out. So, so I trust my love, even, even though I sometimes go, what, what was I thinking? But the, the, the opposite is, is, for me, is, is kind of laughable. Uh, like, like when London Calling came out, I was like, punk's over. This is a piece of shit, you know? And uh, Remain in Light. I thought, oh, it's too bad. These guys aren't very good anymore, you know? <laughs> um, which is just absurd because they're two of my favorite albums now. But um, yeah, so like the, I was asking, is there a record that gave you a rush? Yeah, yeah. When yeah. you first heard it, and then you just went for that album, and you played it a lot. But don't they say that sure. if you like it too much right at the beginning, it loses its sheen? It's more the slow growers. Mm. But it's not. What, it's not what happened though, because that was like Rust Never Sleep is like 1978. So uh, it's still, it's I, still when I hear it, I still get the tingles. Yeah, you know? I take. I, yeah, yeah. I take your point. Alan, uh, in, and I think that's why I, re- I don't, years can go by before I play a record that I have that kind of reaction to. Like, I'm serious, like Prairie Wind was the last one where I went, oh, this is great. And, uh, and played it like on repeat for about a week. So, but I don't, I don't know, like it doesn't matter. It no, doesn't I know. The, the open, like, I, I mean, you know. The opening chords of Cinnamon Girl are, are, fucking right here in my mm-hmm. head mm-hmm. and I liked that right away and I think I liked any Neil Young record I ended up liking I think I liked them all right, right. pretty well right away um, I do remember that there were a lot of records that I played and didn't like but gave them another chance and another chance because people said and sometimes they're like you hear it I mean uh, that uh, that happens all the time with me. Like yeah. I, I buy lots of dollar records, and and then I, I don't like them, most of them. But sometimes I like when a little bit I'm surprised, and then I play it again. It's like no, but sometimes the fifth time I play it, for, the only thing I remember like this is not really a great example, but I really do love the Tinder Sticks, but. I bought the first Tinder Sticks record, and then I sold, like, I don't know, I sold it. 
and then I was in a store, and they were playing the Tindersticks live cover of Kathleen, the Town Van Zandt song, mm -hmm. and I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever heard. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what is this? It's the first Tindersticks record. Oh, I guess. Yeah. And so then I grew to love it. I don't know why I didn't like it at first. I think there are, there's definitely music that is immediately invites you in, and I can see why you like this. My reaction to this is more just kind of like, you know, when people said rock and roll is over, it's over. Four guys playing guitars and drums, that's over. That's, nobody's doing that anymore. I guess I sort of thought, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. But, but then it's not like, in a way, I'm saying it's dumb to say it's not over. I'm surprised, but it's not over. Like, this is a very, I guess you could say that you know this record came out in 2023 and not 1992, but I can't tell that. Like, it, this is just like a lot of stuff I liked in the 80s and 90s, and I like it now, and I'm glad people still make it, even though I don't know why they still make it, because I don't know. So, who Kieran, you're them. in a. Rock and roll band with guitars. I was, still. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, it's it's weird when you talk about the immediacy thing. Like, I I wonder if that's something. Like, you mentioned the first Tender Six album. That's maybe I'm sure that there has been time since, but that's maybe one of the last times I can remember hearing a record that I played over and over again. Uh, first two Tender Six records, probably, right. and that was 30 years ago. Like, I, I was I was barely out of my teens. I was 20 years old, and it's like you know when I was a teenager. I would hear a Husker Du album, and of course, I would just I would just finish it and flip it over and play it again, um, and that was probably true of a, that's how I experienced music. And I think I think the the dawn of you know digitized music and shuffling everything that kind of went away. The last time I remember hearing a record that I wanted to listen to over and over again was probably like oddly enough, this stands out in my memory it was Deer Hunter's record Cryptograms from like 2008. It was one I listened to repeatedly and I haven't gone back to that record in God knows how long yeah. but um, yeah it's 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 a strange thing but it's I feel like I have I miss experiencing records that way I miss listening to albums all the way through flipping them over listening to them a second yeah. time I just don't seem to do it the way I did when I was listening to the Smiths or whatever when I was a teenager you know these guys do it though I do like I yeah I kept no. my vinyl and I got I have a turntable specifically because I can feel the pull away from Putting, listening to an entire album, uh, especially now, because I have a, a attention deficit disorder. Um, so I, I, it's not like I'm forcing myself to, but by doing the ritual, like yesterday I played a couple of jazz albums, uh, I, it, it makes me be in a world, a musical sonic world for longer than five minutes rather than listening to a playlist or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's, I think, you know, in some ways it's the way the original artifact was meant to be digested. Yeah. If it was, you know, if it is an original, like, yeah. album release. But, and Jim, to answer your question, as a guitar player, uh, I just hear music like that and wish I could play with my guitar that high in the mix. I do not have anywhere near the proficiency to play like that. I love the way it's mixed. Um, it does, like it did remind me of Matthew Sweet's Girlfriend. It, it, I love, I just love how high in the mix that guitar is. And I should have also referenced Teenage Fan Club earlier because it reminds yeah. me of Teenage Fan Club as yeah. well. Yeah. I don't, yeah. 
I listened the, uh, the last I time I listened to records a lot was probably in the nineties. Um, I think I listened to Palace Brothers a lot. I listened to Vic Chestnut a lot. I was just thinking the other day I haven't listened to that Vic Chestnut record probably in twenty years, but I listened to that a lot. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think to some degree I listened to things a lot because I had few enough things that I had to listen to them a lot. It was before I started just liking to buy a lot of things and liking unfamiliarity. I don't. I don't like familiarity. I, mm. I, uh, I went to this woman's house in Oshawa to get to help sell her records, but she didn't really have the records. She didn't have what she what 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 I expected the way she talked, but she had like Sergeant Pepper's and and bunch of things like that. And and I was like, oh, okay, I'll play them. You know, I'll play them once more because mm -hmm. you know they were scratchy and I didn't think I could sell them. And oh, maybe I'll keep Sergeant Pepper's. No, like <laughs> I couldn't get past for the benefit of Mr. Kite after that. <laughs> yeah, get the fuck off my turn to like. So yeah, I just uh, uh, familiarity breeds contempt a little for me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it just, I just, I I I wish I, I wish I played something a lot, but I also just I think I just spend my time differently, and mm. then also when I played stuff a lot, I was alone. I lived alone, and there was nobody cared how much I listened to records or mm. how loud I listened to them. And, mm. Etc. So now I do listen to records a lot, but I don't, what I basically do is I buy a bunch of things and then I play them and then I decide which ones I'm going to get rid of and then I play them again and maybe a third time to make sure I want to keep them. And then I file them. Yeah. Then maybe I never play them again yeah. ever. I have many records like that. I think. Yeah. I, I I've always done. I won't say always done, but but since I was fourteen. I started making uh, mixtapes, and I've never enjoyed doing anything as much as making mixtapes. Like I just like and listening to them, and I always felt like that's so way before the internet and all that. I still felt like this record isn't real till I make some weird mixtape with it. But I also played albums all the way, and I still do. Like I, now, you know, the more I hear the conversation, I go, yeah, you know, when I put on. It's not like I don't put them on on uh, playlists because I make a lot of playlists now. But when I listen to like a lot of people like Leonard Cohen or even Bob Dylan, kind of you know cliches here, but I do tend to listen to the whole album, um, or, or Kate Bush, or 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 something like Sunny in the Park with George Sondheim. Mm. I like to hear the whole thing, but I also put it on mixtapes. Bring it all on, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like yeah. I know. mean, there's certain music I know from mixtape, and when I play the record, and the next song isn't the one that was on the mixtape, it's weird. Mm -hmm. uh, I have to say, when I had to decide what record to do on this guy's show, and I thought there was just a lot of talk about tonight's tonight, and I'm I'm I was pleasantly surprised to find out that a record that I played the shit out of. I, I enjoyed. I enjoyed that day. There is these it holds four. Up well, they all hold up. Yeah. I mean, I this woman had Harvest mm -hmm. on CD, and I was like, "Wow, I, I hate this record." But I played it that day. <laughs> it sounded it sounded good. It was better than I remembered. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying, 
the Neil Young of the Ditch trilogy plus this one. I don't. I think. I think it's underrated for how actually. I think that's like as good mm -hmm. a set of four or five records oh, as yeah. anybody ever made, including the Beatles mm -hmm. or the Kinks or somebody else. The like animals. The animals or <laughs> the, the pretty things. Yeah. I yeah. think you should go on that podcast, though, and, and say that you assumed that they were talking about Rod Stewart's Tonight's Tonight. And, you know, probably also an underrated record. Oh, but, uh, terribly underrated. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So well, that's, is that a wrap? That's a wrap. So. How, what do you, I, I suggest we end with the Sonic Youth version. That's my vote for, not Sonic Youth, Soul Asylum. Soul Asylum. The, the only good song, Soul Asylum. Ever <laughs> right. I, I will say it is, it is a very similar, but, you know, not as effective Can version. you find it and play it just for us? Sure, absolutely. Or I could sure. play the Tom Diabo version, which is much, much different. Bunch of bros talking about a bunch of bros. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Neil Young was conceived about uh, 500 yards from where I grew up. I learned this from one of the books written about him, and I think it was uh, Neil and Me by Scott Young. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Me? No, that's no. This is he was actually it was like Avenue Road North apparently. Yes. This, this is the way the story was told. And the, the myth is always it's like Winnipeg or Omimi or whatever. But in fact, he's also a Toronto boy. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. Scott Young was Toronto. He never yeah, yeah. he he never left Toronto. Scott no. Young. Yeah. I, think, I think my grandfather used to play golf with him. Scott Young was my hero growing up. My friend Eric had dinner with him once, because this woman that he knew was friends with him, and she said, uh, "I've been invited to." Scott Young's house for dinner. He said I could bring in, bring a date. You want to go? He went. Okay, sure. Yeah, he he, he was. Gr I loved good guy, Scott yeah. Young. Yeah. He was a good writer. Mm. Okay, I can uh, find it. If you just have to give me the spelling of the uh, Diabo without the L. So what's his name again? Paul. Tom. Tom. Diabo. Diabo. Yeah, like Diablo, but no no D -A -B -O. L. D A B O. Yeah. D I A. D I A. Sorry. D I A B O. He exists. Dark Star, it's on that album. Yeah. Um, get, get ready for some deadpan reading of Neil Young. <laughs> and maybe He's getting reissued, it says. If I could hold on to just one call for long enough to know why my mind is moving so fast Conversation is slow Burn off all the pot And let the sun through to the snow Let me see your face again Before I have to go I have seen you in the movie And those magazines at night I saw you on the bar stool when you held that glass so tight And I saw you in my nightmare But I'll see you in my dreams And I might live a thousand years Before I know what that means
died a thousand deaths. His life was filled with terror, died, and countless idle threats. He trusted in a woman, and on her he made his bed. One there was a friend of mine who died a thousand deaths. Fades out just as he's uh, uh, moving into a different range on the guitar. Um, that is so German. It's, yeah, it's, it's so, so arch. German. It just um, reminds me so much of like, oh. Hildegard Neff. That's who it reminds me of. Yeah. I uh, actually forgot my favorite part of the song. My favorite lyric in the song is when he says, I'll see you in my nightmares, and I'll, I'll see you in my dreams. And then he says, I may live a thousand years before I know what that means. Yeah. Really answering our own question for us. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, how did I how did I overlook that lyric when I was talking about it? Um, uh, that one kind of jumped out at me when we were listening to it. Earlier. Yeah, it's the one that sticks with me the most in my memory. But then this time yeah. it just kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway. Okay. That was uh, good to talk about that stuff. Yeah. My Zuma story is that I think I even told it. You can stop me if I told this story when we were talking about Neil Young last time. Is that I was such an avid Neil Young fan, and the and Zuma was coming out, and I'd read this interview with Cameron Crowe that he had done, and and, uh, and it, this, the record was coming out, and it was coming out, and then it was delayed and stuff. And I was going to Records on Wheels on Young Street every couple of days, bugging what's his name who uh, ran Records on Wheels. I can't remember his name now. He and his sister ran that place. The one at Young and, you know, Young and Wells. Yeah. Right? Anyway, and like one day I went in after, I don't know how many times I'd gone in the store going, is it out yet? He goes, he sees me coming, he goes, hey, it's out, it's out. Come on, come on, follow me, follow me. And he took me to the back of, to the back of the store and there was like a rack of records and he goes, here it is. And he picks up Lady Bump. Remember that disco album, Lady Bump? And he goes, here it is, Lady Bump. Just what you've been waiting for. <laughs> oh, that was priceless. <laughs> priceless moment. And whenever I play Zuma, I always think of that. I always think of him. That was good. Oh. I know a lot of people over there, over there. Actually, Steve King, who will be one of our guests soon. The novelist? No. Oh. <laughs> Got his... Uh, after doing scenes with me, his next big music move was working at Records and Wheels. Mm. And they ended up running Warner in Canada. But wow. But it's really because uh, of doing zines with me. Kind of where it. You know how they talk about like uh, bands are finished? Um, I always should have said this on the show, but anyway, bands are finished. Uh, every time I go to England and I listen to the radio in the UK, it's all like. Good half of it is bands, guitar bands. It's still a thing over there. You know, well, it's like it's, it's, it's weird. Period. Not I, not when I play the radio here. It's like well, then that's yeah. You just you guys like, switch stations or give up on radio because it's like it's still huge. It's just not as huge as it was. Yeah. And it's not as huge as Taylor Swift, right? But but it also 
you know, like it's just like we know when you go back and we look at uh, billboard charts over the time, it's always like shocking. You go, oh right, actually, Boogie Oogie Oogie Dance and Shoes was way bigger than that Bob Dylan album. You know, mm-hmm. um, it was always the case. Well, it's like they t- what they said about punk rock. I forget where who said this or read this. He said like everybody talks, everybody writes about the punk rock era as if it was the dominant. Mm-hmm. music of the yeah. time and he says but if you look at what the top 40 was Disco, yeah. it was like abba and yeah, yeah. you know or you, you saturday night fever and yeah you can make a better living as a cover band playing in the suburbs playing radio hits and you know whatever than you could playing yeah. 200 people in, in a yeah. punk venue like yeah. in the late 70s and yeah the knob hill tavern or... yeah yeah. Um, yeah it's weird though to, right now is a, is, is a rare time where i actually have uh like i have tickets to see two different shows in the next two weeks i don't know the last time i've you know, and there's gigs all the time. And I never yeah. know about them. Like yeah. people will post on Instagram that they're at. Like Sparks are playing tonight. I was going to buy tickets mm-hmm. months ago, and I forgot to buy tickets, I, or I couldn't afford them at the time, or whatever. And so somebody emailed going to Sparks tonight. I was like, fuck, I forgot it was tonight. But I'm seeing Marcus Starling this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris is an old pal, and I love his music, and I wouldn't miss him. And then I'm next week going to see Celeste, like this French like drone metal band. It's my buddy Nick Sewell's band. Uh, Lake Cyanide, formerly Mount Cyanide, or a death metal band were opening. So I could not be seeing two different kinds well, of rock where music. Is Chris, yeah. playing, where is it? Chris is playing the Garrison. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got notice of it, but I, 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 I just assumed I wouldn't go, even though I'd like to. You got to see him play three songs, uh, Tavern yeah, Song. Yeah. This is with the band, though. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. and it's actually, oddly enough, it's, it's uh, Nick Sewell's band, Biblical, Except for Nick backing Chris up, that's pretty much the Marker Starling band is basically biblical. Less Nick, mm-hmm. with the addition of uh, gosh, she's a solo artist, uh, uh, Dorothea Pass um, uh, is has joined his band I think full time, and she's also a solo artist. I think I've only seen him play. I mean, in recent years, solo. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. The, the band are great. Like they, yeah. they can and they can switch. It's so I saw it's that, strange. Well, I saw him with a band. It was even, I don't think it was Marcus Starling. Mm-hmm. The like other. Mantler, Mantler days? Yeah. Mantler, yeah. yeah. I saw Mantler. I, I don't know if it was the same band, but Jay, the drummer, was yeah. the same drummer. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, well, whatever. I mean, Foo Fighters are a rock band. Yeah. <laughs> True. Mm. My brother, whatever, he plays with Burn Cummings, Sarah. They still sell out a big show. No, they're not big, but no, but they're not Taylor Swift no, at that, no, that level. I'm saying, but but more if you go to the thing that I can't is that um, rock bands now sing different. I don't know how to put this. It's like it's not totally recognizable to me. Like, um, like, no, 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 I, we don't have to put this in. Well, yeah. Like, well, the, the, not, so tomorrow time. I'm having lunch. Okay. He brings out the whiskey.
episode, Rick Campbell, Jim Shedden, Alan Zwag, and special guest Kieran Grant discuss songs they love, including Pour Me Up Another by Amy Milan, Barstool Blues by Neil Young, Wings by Corey Hansen. Our closing song for this episode is He Brings Out the Whiskey in Me, composed and performed by Amy Milan. Follow A Thousand Songs Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and stay tuned for our next episode, available wherever you get your podcasts. I can hear the first morning train.